grace and peace, these are yours. Because you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession. And now he has called you out of darkness into his wonderful light to make him known. Dear Christian friends, last week we started our uh, sermon series called Contrary Kingdom. And we looked at what God says about what it means to be blessed, right? Starting with Jesus, the beginning of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as he sat down on this mountainside and started talking to his disciples. And he told them being blessed is not about how many blessings you have, which is very contrary to the way the world thinks. And even sometimes probably the way that our, our hearts think, right? Blessings are the number of things in our house, the number of dollars in our bank accounts, the number of zeros in our investments. And Jesus says, nah, those are good. And God gives those blessings. But to be truly blessed means to know that you are a child of God. To know that you are forgiven by the blood of Jesus, your Savior. It's apart from any strings, anything that you do, any conditions that God loves you, period. And because of that, to be blessed means to know that when you face difficulty and hardship and suffering and sadness, that it's not because God doesn't love you. And it's not because God is seeing if you can make it through this. It's not some kind of a test. It's God loving you and giving you this amazing reminder, difficult in the moment, but providing big-time, long-term spiritual benefits to know that this fallen and broken world is not really all I make it out to be so often. That I have something much bigger and much better than the stuff and the things and the blessings that this world holds out and says, this is what's good, this will make you happy. And God says, you have what makes you happy. You have what makes you blessed. You have life in Jesus, forgiveness in him, and life for eternity with him. It's definitely contrary, though, to the way we normally think, isn't it? And today, Jesus continues that thought, in fact, with the very next verses from his Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5. And he talks about not what it means to be blessed, but what your purpose is. But he does so in these really interesting terms because he's about to give you two things, two components that are part of who God has made you to be and why you are here. Because you might think I've got a purpose and it's to do this and to make this much money and to go to work and to do these things. And God says, yeah, those are, those are some of the things you do, but that's not really who you are or why you're here. Because if, if God took you out of this world right now, somebody would fill your job, Right? There would be other things that would fill in the gaps, but God has you here right now for a purpose. The hard thing is, his purpose is a really delicate balance. And it's one that, that to be honest, it's really hard to get right. And so as we go through this today, I, I, I'm almost guaranteeing there's a part of this that's going to make you uncomfortable. Because there's a really big temptation that as you walk this balance beam, this fine line that Jesus gives, that you are tempted, not just a tendency to like tip one way or lean the other way, but there's a temptation to say, I'm all in on this side. 
or I'm all in on this side. And Jesus wants you to understand that's not your purpose. You're only doing part of who he has made you to be and why he has you here if you go all in on one or the other. It's a difficult balance to strike. It's a difficult thing to keep, but it's critical. So let's take a look at what that balance is. It's our first takeaway this morning. That the purpose Jesus gives me, it seems contrary, but it's critical. It's to love God's word and to love the people of God's world. Not to pick one or the other, but to do both. And that's why it's hard. So let's listen as Jesus makes this, lays this out in the next section from the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning at verse 13. Jesus says, You are the salt of the earth. But if salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished." Therefore, anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus uses two pictures here to describe you. To describe his followers, right? His disciples, his children. Salt and light. Now, in Jesus' day in particular, probably more so than today, salt served two purposes. One, it was to preserve food. And two, it was to give food flavor or bring out its flavor, right? So the point of comparison, the, the takeaway for that is very simple. You, dear Christian, are what Jesus uses to preserve this world. To keep good flavor, to bring a good flavor to, to society, to your friends, to your workplace. Jesus uses you for that purpose. And you are Jesus', you are Jesus light. You are the light of the world, right? You, what's pretty amazing is you, you notice that Jesus says you are the light of the world. Do you know who the only other person in the Bible that's called the light of the world is? Jesus. So when Jesus, the light of the world, says you are the light of the world, guess what light you're reflecting? His light. And so he wants you, he says very clearly, don't, don't hide it, right? We, you know, the, the 
VBS song, Vacation Bible School song, hide it under a a bush. Oh no, I'm going to let it shine, right? Jesus wants you to let his light shine, let it shine all the time. And it's really important that we remember that, that that is who God has made us to be, to let our light shine. Not so that people go, oh, they're such a... They're just so sweet. Oh, what a nice person. They're the most helpful person I've ever met. It's nice to hear some of those things, but really, did you notice who the glory goes to? To do this, to be salt and to be light in this world so that people would see our deeds and praise our Father, that they would glorify God. That's the reason. That's the goal. And that's one key component of our purpose. But it's not the whole thing. That's one side. The other side is love for God's word. Not surprisingly, Jesus commends that, right? And he's very clear. Did you catch his very stern warning? Truly, I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Now understand, when Jesus talks about the law and the prophets, he's using that as, a, as a, a, a summary to describe the Bible, to describe God's word. And he says, there are, pl- right, there are plenty of places in the Bible where God commends us to love his word by, by studying it, by reading it, by knowing it, by, by printing it on our hearts. But here, he tells us to love his word based on how we treat it on how we use it, on how we handle it. Because he says, not one part of it's going away. And so that's the other end of the spectrum, this balancing act, right? How we balance both love for the people of God's world and love for God and his word. And that's hard. It's really tricky, in part because Honestly, in our hearts, we probably think that those two things are contrary. Because one of them, we are comfortable with. I don't know which one it is for you. It's it's much easier to do this, to love people or to love God's word, than it is to do the other. And so we tend to, instead of struggling and striving to do the other thing also, we tend to just say, I'm just going all in on that one. Because it's just easier. And that's the hard part. Because Jesus doesn't say do one. He says do both. And that's that's difficult because it's real easy. There's a, a tremendous danger when we love people. That we figure they're not gonna like what God has to hear about this or about that. And so we're gonna pretend that part doesn't exist in the Bible. We're just going to ignore that. You know that stuff about like sin? Ooh, yeah, you don't want to hear the bad news, right? I actually heard, actually heard a quote preacher on TV one time say, yeah, I don't really talk about sin because people don't want to hear about that. And that's the danger, isn't it? Because we think they don't want to hear about things that they do that are wrong. Nobody likes to be told that they're wrong. That's how half of marriage fights start. 
you're wrong. No, you're wrong. No, you're wrong. We don't like to be told we're wrong, and so we don't want to tell people that that's wrong. We don't want to to poke the bear. We don't want to go down that road. We don't want to say that this is what God says because that sounds really outdated, especially in the society we live in. And you know what? We may even not be real clear then about even pointing them to Jesus. We'll just tell them nice, warm, and fuzzy thoughts, right? Uh, Platitudes that are, are biblical but not pointing to Jesus. But understand that while that's a danger, the other flip side of that coin is that Jesus, while he called you to be salt, he didn't call you to be pepper. Like pepper specifically blown into the nostrils of the person you're talking to. Because there's a real temptation to do that, isn't there? That in our We want to be so careful and we want to love God and his words so much that we're going to stand up for this and I don't care if that hurts you. And so I'm going to say this and it doesn't matter if it's harsh or blunt or in your face because we overemphasize the love for God's word. It's good to love God and to love his word and Jesus is very very clear that it's important that we do that. But he also says don't do it at the expense of loving the people of God's world. And that's why this is so hard, isn't it? Because to do both of those things and to do them both equally and to do them both well, because we have broken hearts that, that struggle with one of them, much less both of them. And it's so easy that if we fall on the the loving God and his word part, right, that it's so easy to to not love people and to to be like the, the angry guy or the, the rude lady when our rights get infringed on, right? To be loud, to, sh- to shout loudly through all the memes on social media that don't leave any wiggle room. And you make your position absolutely clear. And guess what? We're not going to ever have a conversation about this or probably anything ever again. It's important that we don't slam the door in people's faces, that we aren't pepper in their face or pepper spray even, so that we don't get the chance to be light to them, specifically the light of Jesus. Because understand, you aren't called to be the light of the Democratic Party or the Republican Party. You aren't called to be the light of the president or the people that hate the president. You aren't called to promote or preserve a a liberal agenda or a conservative one. You have a purpose, and it comes from your Savior, from your God, and it's to preserve His Word and to promote His truth and to do it out of love for the people of His world. That's who you are made to be. That's the purpose God gives you. That's why you are here. So be careful that you don't get sucked into being the light of something that God doesn't call you to be the light of especially at the expense of being the light of Jesus. Because it's real easy to do, isn't it? It's why we're here. It's why we're talking about it. Because it's so easy to get pulled into being the light of something and and do it under the guise of, well, I love God's word. I'm going to stand up for this because I love God's word. Even if it means I don't love people. Or at least that's how it comes across. God wants you, and he wants me to understand very clearly 
that there are things that are precious to him. And two of them, two of the most precious things to God are his word and the people of this world. And he doesn't give you the privilege of choosing which word you're going to take out or which person you're not going to love. Because he loves all of them. And so understand that, that God loves this. And therefore, it is our privilege and our responsibility as God's people to love them. All of it. Every letter of his word and every soul on this earth. And to love them the way that God loves them. Which is super hard, isn't it? Because there are people that, they're really disagreeable. Like that's the nice way of saying it, right? And it's really hard to love them. And there are some truths of God's word that, boy, they're really hard for me to wrap my head around and wrestle with, much less somebody who doesn't know about God and his love. But to drive that point home, look what Jesus says in verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now we hear quite a bit during the, in, throughout the Gospels, the life of Jesus, about this group called the Pharisees, right? They were a group of people, the, the bigger Jewish religion, within that there was a group called the Pharisees. It was actually a fairly small group, but very influential people. And they were people who, in general, took, they, they said, we hold God's word, his Ten Commandments, so sacred, so holy, that we're going to build this wall around them. So that we don't even come close to breaking those ten, we're going to create 630 more. And if we, don't, if we don't break any of those 630, well, we certainly haven't broken one of God's ten. Which completely missed the point of God's commands. But it really made them look good on the outside. They looked like really good people. They took all of these high moral stances. They said all of these right things, and they left no wiggle room because it was all about the do's and the don'ts. And yet even these people that took this superior authority, right, had this superior air about them and, and did all of these good-looking things on the outside, did you notice what Jesus said about them? That even all the good stuff they did wasn't good enough. And if they aren't good enough, well, no one is. Which is kind of the point. And is our second takeaway this morning. That God doesn't demand good enough. Not just try hard. Good enough. God demands perfection. Those laws that God gives, right, his commands. Did you know that somebody once tested Jesus and they asked him, which one is most important? Now, the goal was to try to get him to pick one, which meant the other less were the other nine were less important, right? That he had elevated one at the expense of the others. And Jesus, not surprisingly, had the masterful, the perfect answer. He said this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. The second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and prophets hang on these two commands. Did you notice the word Jesus used to summarize 
all of God's commands, one word, love. Love for God and his word and love for people of God's world. God wants us to do both. And Jesus here again makes that beautifully clear. Now notice as Jesus summarized these two commands, did you notice the phrase that he used at the end? All the law and prophets hang on these two commandments, right? It's the same phrase we heard in verse 17. When Jesus was referring to God's word and he says, did I put it in here? There we go. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law and the prophets, the word of God. I haven't come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. See, Jesus didn't come to undercut any of the truths of God's word, to undermine them or make them irrelevant. And understand, Jesus lived, give or take, 2,000 years after Moses received those Ten Commandments. Right? About the same amount of time since Jesus has been on this earth that we live today. And we're tempted to say, oh, but that doesn't, that doesn't apply today anymore. That's, that's not relevant. Try going from like Moses' time to the Roman era of Jesus. Culturally, same huge shift. Modern advances, all those kinds of things. And notice Jesus didn't say, yeah, that part, that doesn't really apply anymore. No, he, he said none of it's going away. It's all still true. Every word in there is important, inspired by God, and relevant for people. But he also didn't come to, to take like these moral stances and, and to throw morality in people's faces who were struggling and hurting and dying on the inside. Instead, Jesus came to do something very important, right? He came to not abolish them, not get rid of them, not hide them. He came to fulfill them. Probably the most well-known Bible verse, John 3.16, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And then the very next two verses, Jesus says, I didn't come to condemn the world but to save it. Because the world already stands condemned apart from him. It's only through faith in him that the world is saved, that people are saved. Jesus didn't hide any part of God's word from people. And there were plenty of people who didn't like what he said. There were plenty of part, parts of the Bible that they didn't want to hear. But Jesus didn't, didn't pull any punches. He didn't back off, he didn't hide, he didn't undermine, he didn't diminish. He just laid out for them, this is what the Bible says. This is the truth of God's word. But not throwing it in their face and saying, ha ha, you're wrong. You're going to hell. Oh, but you need me, don't you? He never did any of that because he loved people and he loved God's word. He struck that really difficult balance. And do you know why he did it? So that he could fulfill it and save you and me. Think of some examples, right? There are plenty of them throughout Scripture. We, one we just read, if you've been doing the, the habits Bible reading, we just read one a, a little over a week ago where the Pharisees, same group of people, brought this woman caught in adultery before Jesus. 
And they wanted to stone her for her sins. And they were asking Jesus for approval. Do you know what Jesus said? Whoever has never sinned, pick up the first stone. He didn't say, oh, you know, I bet she didn't mean to. He didn't minimize or trivialize or ignore the truth of God's word. But he also didn't take a stance that that showed no love to this woman. Instead, he showed them that they were in the same boat she was. Sinners. And then, in a beautiful, masterful, only God could do this way, he used, he let the light shine, right? The light of mercy. The light of God's mercy, of his forgiveness. And he showed this woman what it means to be forgiven and to turn away from her sin. Because that was his purpose. That's why he came. And that's our third takeaway. That during his entire life, Jesus perfectly balanced love for God's word and love for the people of God's world so that he could save me. That's why he did it. Not to set some kind of example. And the, the biggest and best and clearest and most beautiful example of that is the last day of his life. He had been in a horrible injustice, right? He had been railroaded and beaten and mocked. Cruelty, unspeakable, inhuman. And then as those, as those soldiers drove the, heartlessly drove the nails through his hands and his feet and they looked on and the, the crowd gathered around and laughed and mocked and taunted and cursed. The only perfect, innocent, holy person who ever lived is being cursed and laughed at. And if ever, ever there were anyone who could say, ha ha, you'll get yours, I'll be sure of it. You'll see what karma is really like. You want to know what wrath of God is like? Just wait, it's coming. But that isn't actually what he did, is it? In fact, there was none of that. And to all the people who were laughing and taunting and mocking, to all the people who had beaten him and spit on him and whipped him, do you know what Jesus said? Do you remember his words? Words that fulfill God's word and that love the people of this world, even the worst of them. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. For they do not know what they're doing. Jesus kept that perfect balance, that delicate balance, even, even to those that hated him the most. Even in the most difficult of circumstances, even as his life was ebbing away. But that same suffering and death, it wasn't just for those haters and those mockers, those worst It was for us, wasn't it? It was to forgive, to save you and me. And we hear that, right? We know this. We know this truth. But maybe in this context, this is especially comforting. 
Because we know that as we try to walk this line that God gives us, that we tend to lean one way or another. We maybe sometimes go all in on one side or the other. And for all of the times that we have failed to show love, Jesus says, I forgive you. So for all of the times when we've taken that moral high ground and we've said, ha, let me tell you what you did wrong and how I'm better. For all the times that we look down on others, point out their faults with a, with a haughtiness, with a superiority, that we look down our noses and say, oh, I'd never do that. I'd never be like that. For all of that lovelessness, Jesus died to forgive it all. And for all of the times when you have downplayed, diminished, taken away from God's word, whether that was intentional and you explicitly said, that doesn't apply anymore, that, that's not really true, or whether you've implicitly modeled it, that by your words and your behavior, you've given people the impression that God doesn't actually care about this or God doesn't actually mean that. For all of the times when you've failed to show love to God and his word, Jesus died for you. And he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for all the times when they've failed to be loving to people or to you. And with his words, his last words on the cross, right, what did he say? The payment for all of them is finished. And that's the comfort for you and for me as we have struggled in the past and we will continue to struggle to find this delicate balance of loving the people of God's word, world and loving God in his word. He says, for all the times you fail, it's finished. It's done. And that brings us to our last takeaway this morning. That in Jesus, every loveless word and act is remembered no more by God. That's the light that Jesus wants you to let shine. The light that is in your heart, the light of Jesus, the light that you are forgiven, the light that knows that that truth is in God's word and that the people of God's world need that light. It's the light that, oh, Lord, thank you for that because I, I need your forgiveness that recognizes your own sin, your own failure, and your own forgiveness that comes as a gift from him and praises him for it. And because of that, with a, a genuine appreciation and a, a, a deep love for your God that thanks him for taking you out of that darkness and bringing you into his wonderful light, you make his light known. And you let it shine in what you say, in what you do, in what you post, in what you forward. That all of it, you think, does this reflect my love for God and his word and my love for the people of his world? So let me give you a couple of examples of what this looks like. Because it's hard. It means that you're quicker to forgive than to judge or condemn. 
whether that's with your words or just in your own heart, that as you see yourself looking down on someone else, you go, oh, recognize that there's always someone who could say that about you too. That that's a person, that's a soul that God loves. God loves them, and he wants you to do the same. That as you think about how you're going to speak to someone, that you do so with that love, the love of God for you. That you don't compromise the truth of his word. That you don't poo-poo or downplay or excuse or, or push away anything God says. But that you hold out the truth of God's word because the best truth, the whole of God's word always leads back to Jesus. That when you love God's word, what you're doing is you are pointing people to what God's word is all about and it's the salvation of, from their sins by their Savior, Jesus. So don't think that you need to pick one or the other. Don't think that it's good, it's okay to do this as long as I do that. Wrestle with this. Find the difficult balance. It's hard. But when you know this, that truth, that you are forgiven, that all of the loveless things you've done and said are washed away, that your God loves you, when that's what fills your heart, well, that's what makes this purpose doable. Because that's who God's made you to be. And that's what he gives you to do. So, dear friends, as you leave here, as you go back to, to life, right? The busyness, the coworkers, the neighbors, the family, all of these people around us, all of this interaction, all of the struggles, social media, everything else going on. Remember your purpose. To love God and his word and to love the world, the people of God's world. And God grant you a true thankfulness and love for him because of his love for you. And God give you wisdom and strength as you let his light, the light of Jesus, shine in a dark world because we have people around us that need it. So let's be that light. Amen.